Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. Have you ever had a Polaroid taken and then... Look, first of all, how many of you know what a Polaroid is? Let's talk about that. Okay. Some of you know because they came back. Some of you have never did this. But is there anybody here that would like to remember this Easter by a Polaroid with me? Okay, Swan, come here real quick. You ready, Swan? I want you to look at those shoes, Swan. Okay, you ready? On three, let's smile. Uh, and let's, I'm going to give you this. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I, I, hold on. Oh, my gosh. Let's try that again. I hit the power button. Okay. Smile already. Got it. Okay. So listen, Swan, here, that's yours. Just shake it, shake it like a Polaroid, maybe? I don't know. Anybody else want one? Just, you want a memory? Chinisa? Okay, come on, Chinisa, let's do this. Everybody give it up for Chinisa. We're only going to do this for everybody. We promise we're going to be out of here in a couple minutes tomorrow. Okay, there you go, babe. Have fun. Thank you for being here. I like the purple hair. Anybody else? You know what? Uh, Chanel, let's do this. This is a big day for you. On many levels. Okay, you ready? You and me? Smile. Okay, I could keep going, but listen, here's what we're going to do. Let's continue. If you get that picture and you... Look at that picture. I guarantee you, the three of you will look at that picture years now, uh, from now, and it will remind you uh, of this moment. Photos are like that, are they not? Uh, I'm convinced that images unlock stored moments in our memories like a key unlocks a door to a room full of treasures. Images that you see will unlock what really happened, what really happened matters, what's really there. Does that make sense? So the question is today is what are the images of of Easter that we need to be reminded of that will unlock the door that's like a key to open up all of the things that are inside. Uh, Real quick, I don't ever remember painting Thor like a classic Thor in British Columbia. Uh, I was going through my photos and then I saw this photo And I was like, there I am, painting Thor in British Columbia. 
and I don't remember painting that painting, but I painted that painting. I signed that sucker. I don't remember that room. I don't remember anything. I haven't thought about that for years. And then I remember that moment, uh, and that's when it came to life. I don't remember uh, this video of me feeding hummingbirds from on top of my head in Colorado. I completely forgot about this moment, but here I am in Colorado with a bunch of pastors at conversations in the Rockies and those 747s. When a hummingbird is that close to your head, I'm telling you, it sounds like a, a bee is in your ear. It's amazing the amount of pressure and air that those little wings actually use. I don't remember this heartfelt moment of me and Zeta on a like a sort of an evening ranger ride with our dog and this little glance of Zeta. I don't remember that moment. And then I saw that video and it just kind of, it warmed my heart. Videos are our new Polaroids, by the way, if you haven't noticed this. We take more videos than we do pictures. I don't remember um, listening to Xander uh, recite scripture. We we're trying to help him memorize it, but he's in the kitchen. He also hates being recorded by a video. I don't remember that, but here we go. Here's Xander. Dad, don't make a video. I was hiding it behind the peanut butter. I... Now, when you selected me as your bridge pastor, uh, I was asked to send the board a video to introduce myself to the church. I don't remember that. Uh, it hasn't really been that long, if you think about it. Um, but this is the video that I that I queued up to send them. I think they all had second guesses after that video came in the inbox. Well, let's talk about the images of Easter briefly and what key that could be to unlock a deeper meaning, a, a greater treasure. Uh, first, let's talk about the cross. We're going to talk about the cross with pride. Uh, we're going to talk about the Christ. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of these things, but let's, let's talk about the cross. How many of you wear a cross around your neck? Nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful piece of, of jewelry, um, to be honest. Um, I think that the cross, by no offense to anyone that's wearing a, a cross, I know it means maybe something to some of you. Some people, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a, it's just a cross. It has been so sanitized and bathed in this, this sleepless stupor of what it really is. Christianity in modern day has washed over the cross into this little piece of jewelry or a, or a neat little tattoo we get. There's a word for it, sopophoric haze. Sopophoric, it's like this sleep that we got to get woken up from. The cross, first and foremost, you need to know, you can take that whole box. I've got kids. You're going to need the box. Oh, it's for Bryn. Okay, never mind. The cross was much of an intimidating display uh, for public to say as it was for actual execution. I want you to know that. The cross was meant to humiliate someone deeper than actually kill them. They knew they were going to die. They wanted to humiliate them before they died. 
The term for cross or an execution is skolopos. That's actually the term of an instrument of execution in the Greek, skolopos. But the word that's used in the New Testament is thoros. It actually means display. It was so much more important for people to be humiliated, dehumanized, than it was for them just to merely be dead. This is so important to know. There was an archaeologist in 1968, Vasilos Zephyrus. He discovered an actual remains of a person that was crucified about the time of Christ in the north part of Jerusalem. They exhumed this body, and just like any forensic scientist or CSI fans out there, they started to really dig into how the skeletal record would show how this man died. Let's look at the examinations on his wrist. There were such deep marks in his radius, in his bones, in his wrist here, uh, in his right forearm, that he had been nailed not only to a horizontal bar, but the nail had dung so deep that it would start to pierce the marrow, the very marrow in the bone. The kind of pain that would be debilitating to the point of shock. His ankles were uh, done in two different ways. They were either folded in an uncomfortable, contorted position, both overlaying one another, and then nailed through with a 17-centimeter spike, or they were set on the sides of the cross and then nailed to this way. Either way, both ankles were nailed, and the legs were spread apart so far that the hip sockets usually, from this contorted position with just the right pressure, would the legs, the right tibia of this man was so brutally flat, fractured by a single blow, there were sharp slivers. There was really no remnant of his femur. Why was this? This was a variance of Roman uh, crucifixion, by the way. Because Jewish law required that the body would be buried before nightfall, Deuteronomy 21 and 23. And so they broke this man's legs so he died quicker, so they could get him into the tomb according to Jewish law. After all of this, with his arms, his ankles, his legs. Let's talk about a little bit about the before from the historical record that we understand of the cross. You were flogged first. The convicted victim was actually tied to a post and then flogged with shards of glass and iron, nine tails letting out from these strips of leather, ripping through flesh as they were flogged. This executioner then laid this person, the victim, on a crossbar or a patellabum, and would tie the person, usually at that point, around his neck and his arms. And then number two, you had to walk. You had to carry that part of the cross. First you were flogged, then you were walked. They began their procession to the execution site. And there was a title, usually a head, like a banner that someone would carry, indicating the person's crime. That cross was then raised at the designated spite, uh, site, but first the person was spiked to the cross. And they never nailed people like you think you see in uh, ways that you would see, uh, let's just say, a drawing of a crucifixion or blood in the palm of your hands. The nail would rip out. No, the Romans nailed you between these two bones so it would catch the entire hand, and you couldn't rip it out. It was never nailed here. Jesus' nail-scarred hands are actually up here in his wrists. Not here in his hands. They're here in his wrists. That's important to note because the Romans knew this. They wanted to prolong the execution. They often and always would make a seat not large enough for both buttocks, but usually just one side, and they would put a seat just underneath just to offer a little bit support so the person could hang just enough but not too much 
so they would die slowly, prolonged agony. And then these people on these crosses would go four different ways. This actually happened on our earth, not just to Jesus, but to other people that were crucified. This was a part of how they dealt with criminals. Just like when we watch a, a, a story of someone's life unfolding in a courthouse, they're sentenced to jail, and they serve a time, this is something that they did for people at that time. You died in one of four ways. The nails would either damage your body so bad, severing these median nerves in your body that you would go into actual shock. The pain was just too great. The previous flogging, the mortification of those wounds would cause dead flesh. Blood would fail to reach the extremities. Shallow breathing also, a lot of historians argue, the weight of the body outstretching the arms. Medically, you would just suffocate from muscle spasms that are happening. Failure of blood flow would result in severe blood pressure drop, hypovolemic shock, actually. Now, there's only three ways that you could get through this, if you will, quicker. Number one, they flog you harder. So if they flog you harder, death would come sooner. Number two, they would give the victim a, a um, narcotic in the ancient world, which was just simply wine and myrrh mixed together. Now, Jesus refused this in Mark 15, 23. He refused that notion. And number three, they would put a spear finally into the chest cavity of the victim. And in John 19, 34, Scripture records that blood and water flow. Now, if you put a spear into someone's heart, the heart is ruptured, releasing blood, but for your heart surgeons out there, the precardial sac is made up of mostly water. Once you puncture that sac, water and blood would flow out the same way. This is the image of the cross, and we wear it around our neck. You typically don't wear a gas chamber necklace. You don't wear nice little guillotine earrings. You don't typically wear an electric chair brooch. You don't typically uh, put on a, a bracelet that's, that's a whole shooting squad or an iron Viking torching technique, a torturing technique. You don't wear jewelry like that, do you? Why? Because those things are all symbols of execution. They're all ways that we kill people. What do you think you're wearing when you wear a cross? The cross is a symbol of execution. We need to know that today. It's not a piece of jewelry. It can be. It can be a wooden cross that I dug out of the basement from Summit long ago and put it by the water fountain. It can be those things. But when you look at it, don't let the stupor of modern Christianity wash away the fact that it is a symbol of how you kill someone in the worst possible way that we could humanly imagine at that time. And to record to date, one of the most brutal ways that you could take the accused and take their life slowly over a course of time. It is a symbol of execution. And following Jesus to your own cross is not safe. If you want safe, don't come to this church and certainly don't, certainly don't choose Christianity. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion, said Satan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel nervous about meeting such a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he ain't safe. But he is safe. That's from the Chronicles of Narnia. 
following Jesus to the cross is not going to say if you're going to lose your life by following him. I want you to know something. When you look at the cross today, you're going to see a lot of different crosses on Facebook and on social media. And I want you to know something. Jesus didn't wear a cross around his neck. He wore it around his back. He didn't wear it around his neck. He wore it on his back for you. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me and take up his cross and follow me. Have you denied yourself? Because yourself wants all kinds of stuff. Have you denied yourself and where do you wear your cross? Let's talk about the crowds. Let's talk about the Minnesota Wild. Let's talk about third place in the Central Division, two points away from the Avalanche and the Dallas Stars. Can't stand the Dallas Stars. Boo. The worst stars. We were the North Stars. Now they're the worst stars. They're a falling star in our division. Amen? Okay, none of you are hockey fans. You live in Minnesota. Get with the game. Um, here's the deal. Danielle and I have season tickets to the Excel Center. We go to watch the Wild on date nights. Sometimes I take my kids. Sometimes we sell them for a profit if you're interested. But... The truth is, is we actually love to go there, but there's crowds everywhere. If you've ever gone to a wild game, there's tons of crowds. Now, here's the deal. Danielle and I have figured out through the process of just trial and error where to avoid the crowd, where to find the narrow path, the small stairwell, the back way in, the one through Rice Park. You go up through this one staircase, and you're in and out in like three or four minutes tops. Like there's no waiting in line. We know where to park. We know how to get in and out quick. We're pros. But every wild game, I see people walking down this huge ha hallway like, uh, like cattle going to the exit, like, like just following the crowd mindlessly. Like if there was a blocked door, they just would go, oh. They would all go this way. Okay, this effect, this, this psychological effect of following the crowd is actually called the bandwagon theory. It's a psychological effect thing that we do as humans, we do it because someone else is doing it, not because we want to do it. We don't do it because we're actually like knowing what we're doing. People are doing something, and so we're primarily following that something because they're doing it, regardless of how I feel about it, how I believe about it, how I know about it. I'm just doing it because they're doing it. That never happens to us. You never do that, have you? You never jump on the bandwagon. Oh yeah, during COVID, how much toilet paper did you buy? Or hoard, rather. And let's talk about that just for a brief second. COVID is a serious thing. It actually almost took my life, okay? Like, I was sick as I've ever been in my life, all right? Now, number two, I lived, okay? I'm here. Let's move on. But why did we hoard toilet paper? Have you all ever used a baby wipe? It's Easter on Sunday morning, and I'm asking a question that will change your life. Have you got flushable wipes? Why on the world would you hoard toilet paper? There should have been a run on baby wipes, the flushable ones. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you're hoarding toilet paper, you're hoarding the wrong thing. Flushable baby wipes, trust me. Just go get a pack and then go to Taco Bell and just wait and your life will be changed. Some of you didn't see that coming, let's move on. 
Let's look at another crowd. The only way to get back from that is just to pray real quick. Matthew 27, 15. Now it was time that the governor's custom at this festival to release a prisoner chosen by whom? The crowd. But the chief priests and the elders forsaked the crowd for Barabbas. And Jesus was there. And Pilate said, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And they all answered. The crowd answered, crucify him. What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. And they shouted louder. More people joined in, crucify him. I want you to know something on Easter. The crowd will lead you to where you don't want to go. The crowd. The, the, the people in your life will lead you, the crowd, where, where you don't want to go. Jesus will lead you where you need to go. Matthew 17, 13, 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. There's a big crowd in the big gate. Leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and it's hard that leads to life. And those who find it are many. My question for you on Easter today is, are you following the crowd? Who is persuading you to join in into what they do? Or are you following Jesus, pursuing him? Let's talk a little bit about a covering. If you left here just now, in a moment, and you went outside and it was raining, what would you be reminded that you forgot? An umbrella. In Exodus 7, uh, there's this story of the plagues, where God is literally setting his people free. And in that moment, you can read through all the plagues of locusts, of this, of that, and all the other, all the other moments. And as the kids come in here, I want we wanted them to be a part of this uh, part of this end of the service. There's rain, and, and and I want you to know, church. Look at me, everybody. Look at me real quick. I understand that there's a baby crying. Okay, some of you can hear it. Anybody? It's okay. We can get through this. They might be a guest. They're maybe not uncomfortable with helping out in the kids' area or dropping their kids off. That's okay. That's actually a good reason for you to serve on the kids' team. That was a good place for that. Don't just come to church and spectate. You should be serving once a month. I'll, I'll stop now. Maybe twice a month. Let's just set the bar a little lower. Um, in Exodus 8, 22, the plagues are falling all over, locusts and everything else. And if you don't have one of these red umbrellas, what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand. Your family doesn't have one of these red umbrellas. So just, just raise it up. We're going to give you one right now. The hospitality team's going to come here in just a moment. They're going to flag you down. They're already transitioning. They are going to give you one of these red umbrellas, okay? It's going to take a couple minutes. Just put your hand down until you see him passing out. Jen's already here. Christian's coming. Other people are helping. If somebody wants to go help over there, Ben, you want to help pass out a couple red umbrellas? We got them for you. As they're passing them out, I want you to hear what happened. The plagues are falling in Egypt, but in Exodus 8.22, Exodus 8.22, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are, and no swarm of insects will happen to them. So there's these flies that are happening in Egypt, but in Goshen there's nothing happening. You remember, there's this moment where they're underneath this red umbrella. Now don't open your red umbrella yet. But where the plagues were, there was no covering. Where God's people were, there was a covering. 
If you have a family, you're here as a family, just take one per family if you can until we got everybody. And then if we have extras, we'll give you the extras. Does anybody remember what happened in this story? There's ten plagues of Egypt. The kids talked about them today. There's ten plagues of Egypt that went through all of Egypt. There was the plagues of locusts, the plagues of insects, the, the water turning to blood, the Egyptian cattle are dying, the plague of boils, hail. There's darkness all over the land. Exodus 9.26, only in the land of Goshen, where my people are, there was no plagues. There was a covering. There was an umbrella. You had all this calamity happening here, and over here where God's people were, there was no calamity. It was the same earth, same dirt, same sun, even same geographical area. You got this happening here, and you got this happening here, but there's something different about the covering that God's people had. You got stuff that's happening in St. Paul to everyone, and then you've got God's people who have chosen to follow Christ. There's something different in that same happening that is a covering that they just possess. It happens here in Goshen. It happens here in the Old Testament. And then God says, there's one more plague. I'm going to come through Egypt, and from Pharaoh to the slave girl to anybody in between, I'm going to take the firstborn. And so this is what you have to do. You have to cook a lamb a certain way, eat it a certain way, and take its blood, dip it in basically a hyssop branch or, or, or pine needles and brush the doorposts of your house and go inside there. And when I come through this land, if I see that blood over that doorpost, I will pass over. Now what you need to know is they don't read the Bible backwards like we do. What happens is God does exactly what he says he's going to do because that's what God does. He sends this, this death angel into the land and he starts taking the firstborn. There was not a great cry, Bible says, not a great cry in Egypt, and there no has never been since. Not a house where anyone was not dead, but wherever the blood was, nothing, nothing happened. They had a covering, they had an umbrella. And what you need to know is the lamb in the Old Testament was just a lamb that they selected as a Passover. It was a lamb, a lamb, and they took the lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost of the house. It sounds strange and barbaric and far off ancient. It's because it is. And what you need to know is John, uh, in the first part of John, says about Jesus, he says, Jesus is the lamb of God. So in the Old Testament, it was a lamb. In the New Testament, Jesus is that lamb. In the Old Testament, it was a house you applied the blood to. In the New Testament, Scripture says that you are the house that the blood is applied to. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's the blood of a lamb to the doorpost of the house, and then there's the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of your heart. There's a big difference here, and what you need to understand is death is coming for you. It's not if, it's when. There's a lion that it wants to seek and destroy your life. It's interesting to me how this parallel that happens in Scripture don't not underestimate the fact that you will not have troubles because it's not if, it's just when. But my question for you is, do you have a covering? Do you have an umbrella for eternity? But also, let's just talk about this. While you walk through the storms of life here now, do you have a covering? I want us to remember today these Four simple pieces. 
And as Katie and Christy come to the piano, I just want to close with this. I want you to remember the cross, the crowds, and the covering. But I want you to remember the Christ. Because you can never, you can never control the rain. But you cannot miss this. But you choose to stand where it does not fall. You cannot control the rain, but you can choose to stand where it does not fall. So there's two types of people here on Easter Sunday. Number one, those all of you that are here, you already stand in Christ. Be reminded of the resurrection today, that the tomb is empty, that you have a covering, that you are not following the crowd, you're following the Christ, that the cross, that symbol is, even though the heaviness of it, it's a path, it's a gateway, it's a doorway to eternal life. Be reminded of, the, of, of those images on this Easter for you. That you have salvation in Christ. You hear what I'm saying to you? But there's a second group of people here. Now I'm talking to you. Those of you, you do not stand with Christ. You would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You haven't confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that he's God's son. You don't have a covering and you've been walking through the rain. Hear me say this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive our due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that once he died for all, therefore all died with him, and he died for you, for me. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was making a way back to him. The world to himself in Christ now belonged to him, not counting men's, yours, women's, trespasses against them he wiped it away god made him to have no sin become sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of god i be, be i implore you on the behalf of christ be reconciled to god remember the cross remember the crowds remember the covering and remember the christ and if I'm talking to you and you want to commit your life to Jesus today, get up out of your chair and be bold and meet me down front right now on the count of three. Everyone's looking. They're going to cheer you on. If you can't stand for Christ in here, I guarantee you, you can't stand out there. On the count of three, I'm talking to you. Today's the day of your salvation. One, two, three. Get out of your chair and come down here. If that's you, I'm talking to you. If you're here. If you're not, that's okay. Andy. Stand right there, Andy. Anybody else? This is your day on Easter. You're just saying, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and today's the day. Anybody else? All right. Andy, I'm going to give you this as a symbol of that covering. I want you to pray with me. This isn't a magic prayer. This is a posture of your heart. You've been serving faithful in this church, and now 
I can't imagine how this unfolds now as the inside matches the outside. The Bible is very clear. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. If you've never been water baptized, we've never had this conversation. We might need a bigger tank, but we'll get one. So let's pray together. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. turn from who I want to be. I walk towards who you want me to be. I believe in my heart that you are God's son. I confess with my mouth that I'm saved. And I'll spend eternity with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. You can stand with me wherever you're at. And I'd like one of those red umbrellas. Bryn, I need one. And I would just like you to carefully, carefully open your red umbrella. And I would like us to stand underneath this covering. You can keep this umbrella. I want you to look around and let's sing together on this Easter that we have this covering. Happy Easter, everybody. Remember the cross, remember the crowds, remember the covering. Don't ever forget this. You can forget me, but remember this. The storms will come, the rain will come, but you have a covering. In the name of Jesus, let's sing. Listen, if you didn't get a red umbrella, it's because we didn't have the budget to buy enough. So make sure that you tell us at the Welcome Center or you shoot the church an email and we'll make sure we order you one when we do that. We don't want you to feel left out. I want you to have one of these. Just let us know at the Welcome Center or by email. But let me pray for you. Let me bless you. Happy Easter, everyone. Enjoy your family. The tomb is empty. God, we stand underneath this covering that you've prepared for us. We celebrate this in the name of Jesus. We celebrate the weight of this moment, God. We remember the cross. We choose the Christ, not the crowds. We are under that covering. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter, everybody. We'll see you next week. To help you apply the truth found in scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? 
How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue, or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.